0: Before we get started, we wanted to tell you about the Scotiabank Contact Photography Festival. It's the largest annual photography event in the world with over 200 exhibitions and happenings from May 1st to 31st in the Greater Toronto Area.
1: Renowned American artist Carrie Mae Weems will headline the 23rd edition of the Citywide Event with a five-part solo exhibition, her first in Canada. Weems will be in Toronto for her exhibition opening on May 3rd and 4th at Contact Gallery and at the Art Museum at the University of Toronto, and for a public lecture on May 4th.
0: Contact's 2019 launch party is on Wednesday, May 1st from 7 to 11 p.m. at the Ryerson Image Centre, free and open to the public. For full exhibition listings and programming, visit scotiabankcontactphoto.com as of April 1st. Welcome to the second season of Momus the Podcast. We are your hosts, Sky Gooden. And Lauren Wetmore. What makes great art? What have your experiences been with seeing it and knowing it, but also with trying to frame it in your own practice, whether through writing, curating, making, directing, or collecting art? We've grown tired of our perpetual disappointment,
1: and by the conversations in contemporary art being so frequently focused on what failed, what missed the mark? So we're asking, what is it that we're looking for?
0: We're keen to flip the image of criticism as destructive, instead of, or in addition to, asking, what was missing? We also want to know, what are we seeking? The
1: intention is not to come to a consensus or a playbook. The intention is to shift the overwhelming tone of current conversations away from a rhetoric of tearing down.
0: Which is not to say that identifying problems and speaking truth to power is not absolutely essential. Only that perhaps there are ways to do this that work better and feel better.
1: For the second season of Mama's is the Podcast, we will be asking bright-minded cultural producers, what are you looking for in great art? What is so often missing in our experience of it? Why are we so regularly disappointed? And what has your experience been with meeting it, or making it, or of
0: seeking it out? We'd like to hear stories of great artists meeting great art. Our first interview is with venerable critic, author, and performance artist, Jean Randolph.
1: And the second interview is with writer Sheila Hetty, author of How Should a Person Be, and most recently, Motherhood.
2: Howdy. My name is uh, Jean Randolph. I've written a lot about art and North American culture in general, and I've perpetrated some activities in front of an audience which loosely could be defined as performance art. And I know there's something else I do, but it isn't playing the flute. I don't know what it is. What
0: makes for the itness or you know th- what what is the what makes for great art?
2: You know, I didn't even know that the phrase great art was around anymore here in the 21st century. So that stymies me a bit because If something is great, the criteria for one epoch or era wouldn't be the same as the criteria in another era. And it seems to me that one choice is to ask an expert or to try to articulate what would be great art for for me. I can see problems with both of these extremes. My practice has always been tilted toward not listening to experts, or if I hear them, not believing them. On the other hand, since I'm not an expert, great art, I suppose, would have to be some artwork I justified as great on the basis of psychoanalytic theory, subjective response. I don't think I've ever seen a work of great art. I I can think of some artworks which at the time, at the time and circumstance, they made me feel like this is it. One was back in nineteen sixty. At the University of Chicago Art Gallery I saw an exhibition of assemblages by Bruce Conner And they were so ugly That I thought this artist has penetrated so many veils of convention By putting these assemblages together And they're so ugly The anti-aesthetic might be applied to them then the next time I saw an artwork and thought, "Oh my God, this is really of the moment. This is it." Well, that was back in 1986 when I saw a David Sally painting. It was a big thing and had, you know, all those gestures and images uh, crammed in together and floating around each other and it was postmodernism to the nth degree it was it was not pastiche it was a reckoning between the past and the non non available future
0: what have your experiences been with trying to frame it in your own practice
2: i would write about or with or to or for an artwork I I respect. And usually that means I would write about an artwork I respect by a per- an artist I respect. So that means I'd have to write about someone who's living and uh, I'd have to write about someone however briefly I conversed or had some kind of experience that made me, that filled me with respect. And how would I frame it? I prefer, and I think I stopped doing anything else, writing criticism, I compose a parallel piece of writing that does what the artwork is doing in terms of images, issues, uh, relevance, to the Times, so that when you read this criticism, you'd ha- you'd have to, uh, uh, what do we call it, do a double take. So that's a pretty brief uh, answer to the idea of, well, hmm, how would I frame uh, a work I respected through writing? There seems to be uh, a... Um, disillusionment going on not not with me honest not with me i i'm not disillusioned i'm i'm excited and curious about the kinds of artwork uh that has been is being shown uh because i don't expect anything from it really
0: Explore the Canadian scenery through the eyes of brilliant landscape painter Winchell Price. In his new book, Winchell Price, Master Painter, author Kevin Robert Turner outlines the life and work of the distinguished Royal Canadian Academy artist whose oil and watercolour paintings of nature hang in collections around the world.
1: Winchell Price worked alongside the group of seven, but Price never achieved the same level of recognition,
0: despite his talent. Indie reader has given the book a rare five out of five star rating, calling it a compelling look at the unconventional painter's life, told with honesty and compassion by someone who knew Price and his work intimately.
1: Discover the vivid world of Winshell Price. Order the book on Amazon or visit WinshellPrice.com. That's W I N C H E L L P R I C E.com.
0: Okay. So, if I can just get you to state your name and, you know, however you like to introduce yourself in terms of your profession. Okay.
3: My name is Sheila Hetty, and I am a writer, um, usually a fiction writer.
0: Okay, great. So, um, as I sort of prefaced in my email, uh, the theme of this season for the podcast is essentially trying to... Um, envision what it is we're looking for when we're looking at contemporary art, but but doesn't necessarily have to be limited to contemporary visual art. It can also just be sort of a question that's a bit more open-ended around what is it we're looking for from great art. Um, We're talking to writers as well as critics and um, artists, curators, filmmakers, and trying to really sort of be a bit expansive and a bit dreamy in terms of um, both discussing our experiences with uh, sort of having our hair blown back from our neck in the presence of great art or, or thinking through sort of why there seems to be a, a, a chronic disappointment in our encounters with, with art. So I guess I might um, just start with asking for maybe an anecdote from you about an experience you've had um, where a really memorable encounter happened. It doesn't necessarily have to be a positive one, but if you, I can get you maybe just to discuss what that encounter maybe was.
3: Yeah, um, the first thing that comes to mind is when I was around 20, I don't know, sometime in my early 20s, um, and I saw Gummo. I came out of the theater and I just felt like this is the first work of art I've seen by someone of my generation that's like a true work of art. I felt completely, um, uh, you know, when I came out on the street, I just remember sort of the world feeling kind of different and the feeling I had in me was sort of people around my age like we had started making art um we weren't kids anymore we were not no longer apprentices we were creating real things it was the first time I'd had that feeling and it was a tremendous feeling like and I felt like it encompassed me as well like okay here we go here we all go
0: and do you remember what it was about it if you can kind of extrapolate a bit
3: it was just so wild and so free and so surprising and so I hadn't seen anything else ever like it and it was funny and dark and cruel and mischievous and had so much energy and um yeah I just all new images that like that I'd never seen I remember like the bacon taped to the wall and the the boys having a bath like just these images that I'd never seen before and something about the confidence in it and the craziness I don't know it just all, all those things together just blew me blew me away
0: it's interesting that you start with film for this response do you find that um, your experience of something really powerful on that level is sort of democratic or irrespective of medium
3: yeah I think so I mean I, I don't I don't think that I it doesn't tend to center on film by any means I mean I, I guess I look m- most critically at Um, works of fiction, and so, and uh, but I I don't think that I find more great art in fiction than I find in other mediums, but I just, I feel like maybe I can, if I experience a a great work of art in fiction, there's a a certain kind of excitement I get that I don't get with other works of art, because it's somebody who has found some completely new way of doing the same thing that I'm doing, um, which is a different feeling than seeing some something like that in painting or something like that in film or.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we were circling in our preparations for this uh, a text by Gertrude Stein in which she talks about the itness quality of a masterpiece. And even though masterpiece is not a term that is in vogue anymore, um, the itness is something that really feels a bit timeless. And I like that it it sort of circles its own ineffability. Do you have a sense that when you're in the presence of something that's really quite transcendent, there aren't words, really? Or do you do you struggle to, how, how do you approach it in terms of understanding and comprehension?
3: Well, you can never, obviously, replicate the work of art and talking about it. So, of course, there's so much that's lost when you're talking about it. It's not the work of art anymore. Um, but I don't think that it's more difficult to talk about something great, that's working, than it is to find, talk about something that's not great, that's not working. I mean, it's difficult to talk about in either sense, because um, it's so far away from the actual object. And what the object transmits is the, in part, is the the human that made it, the, 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 the being, um, and when you're writing about it or talking about it, you're transmitting yourself. You can't, I don't think that you can really channel that person who channeled themselves and their soul or their being through their art. You can't quite channel that in in your talking about it. Um, So yeah, it's very, you're very far away from it, but. Yeah, like I said, I think you're equally far away from it, whether you're talking about something that's,
0: that you like or something you dislike. No, it's interesting. If that hasn't been my experience. I find as a critic, um, It's it's a bit easier. It doesn't this isn't to say it's easy, but to to sort of sink into what's missing or what's failing or not working anyway. Then, it, and maybe it's because there's a kind of um, queasiness about um, exalted language. You know that you want to be cautious to be too praising.
3: Yeah, well, I think when you talk about why a work of art is working, you you kind of end up falling into instinctively like a more mystical way of expressing yourself because I think that's, for me anyways, what great work of art comes closest to is some kind of spiritual um, experience. And I think people today don't want to use that language and are suspicious of it and so you can't talk about its greatness because you can't step over the line and actually, like you say, exalt it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good link to be making to um, our shyness around the idea of spirituality right now in terms of especially sort of the secular arts. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you find yourself frustrated uh, with a, a continual sense of disappointment or, or at least a regular sense of disappointment in what you're being met with? Uh, in the arts, I mean, just generally, or or is this not something that you you experience?
3: Well, I don't expect to have that experience very often, so I don't think I go around with a great feeling of disappointment. I I I think it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly rare for something, um, for a work of art to be um, uh, like transcendent and and for for the the wonderful things about it to to basically eclipse its flaws. Um, I think that doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. So, um, I can be disappointed that there isn't more of it, but I don't expect there to be more of it. Like if I read, you know, a hundred books in a year, like or 50 new books in a year, I don't expect if one of them, um, gives me that feeling in a sustained way to the end, that's a miracle, you know? Um, I just think it's really hard to do yeah I don't I don't think that it's given to everyone who makes art to do it um, to be able to pull it off
0: yeah well and given that you do uh that you are a creator does an encounter let's say it happens once a year for instance um does it change or sort of shiver through your own practice in any identifiable way do you find
3: yeah, it gives me more. It opens up what I feel like I can do. Like if I, I, I can think of, um, you know, a couple novels that that I've read in the last few years that um, so excited me, or or I didn't even really necessarily like them, but they stayed with me in a way that I realized opened up um, like these new possibilities for what I could do or what seemed worthwhile to do. Um, so so yeah, I think it has a big effect, like not, not in the sense of, um, me wanting to imitate them, but in the sense of, they give me a freedom to do similar things, or to like, uh, so, so if a book like, has a certain effect that I haven't experienced before, with a previous book, I realize, oh my, that's something I can try to do in my work, is like to have that effect, like that effect is legitimate, like for instance, I read a book this year, um, Called my year of rest and relaxation yeah. by Catherine Marshak, and it wasn't even that I thought it was such a great book when I was reading it. You know, it was, but the the lingering effect of it has actually been really great. And so I would I would put this in that category of of, of quite a transcendent experience because the effect that it has had on me as a writer is to um, give me the permission to think of um, how would I put it like. Um, uh, talking about, that there's something like, there's something very crude about th- the writing in it, mm-hmm. that's, that's very free, but that's kind of depressive, mm-hmm. and and sort of hurried, and sort of, um, I don't know, I don't really know how to put in the words, but there's all these qualities that I would never really think, like, had value, um, and now they, I see they do, and if my writing sort of starts to uh, go in that direction, I don't have to be afraid of it, because I know that it, that can actually have power.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a nice distinction. And I think as a, maybe one of the final questions I would put to you around this, um, when you're experiencing, say, a novel that feels better than the, the rest or, or extraordinary in some capacity, do you find that you're, you're reading it critically in that moment or that you're releasing yourself from that, that kind of reading in order just to let it sort of wash over you? Um,
3: okay, so like there was a book I read this year called The Years, uh, y e a r s, not the years. The years by Annie Erno She's a French writer, and I, um, I was so taken with it, and I, I wasn't reading it critically at all. I just was. I became completely absorbed in it. And then after I finished it, I thought I should go back and read it again and see what she actually was doing, like how she created this effect, how she ma- managed to, to. Um, uh, well, the book is sort of about it's sort of a memoir, but it's more a memoir of the society in which she was and she and all her other contemporaries in France were living through. So it's like a memoir, but all the eyes turned uh, to to see the outside rather than to see the inside of itself. It's really, really formally strange and, mm. and really uh, amazing. Um, but in any case, I, I told myself I should just reread it and. and, and and, check that out. and then I realized I actually don't want to reread it and figure it out. And I wanted to just to keep the magic mm-hmm. uh, of that first experience. So I'm sure one day I'll reread it. but um, I, And then I also think, like, what's there to figure out? Like, it's not like there's a technique that I'm going to try to adopt. Mm-hmm. So why not just, like, let it be this sort of um, wonderful experience that I had in this book?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think on that note, um, I, I'd also be just curious if you if you give much consideration to the it, context in which you experience a great work, if, if there's a lot to be said for sort of where you are in your life and environmental factors in, in your your um, general posture in terms of happiness, or if you think these things kind of knock you out of those settings and irrespective of them uh, would have a, a giant effect? Um, yeah, I don't think that... Well, I
3: was going to say, I don't think you could be like in the calm, receptive state of life for, for these things to, um, to have an effect on you. Cause like, when are you ever in a calm, receptive state of life? I mean, mm-hmm. we're always in the midst of so much, um, distraction and chaos and, you know, things could be for our attention and then something comes to break that open and you're just like in bed for a week reading mm-hmm. or whatever, or, you know, in an ideal world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I feel like it, it brings the context with it, like it brings it brings that permission, or, or it's so engaging that it everything else falls away. But I don't think it's the other way around, where you're just, you know, I, I would, for for example, like I don't think the best books that I've ever read I read on vacation, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah,
0: right. Um, is there anything else you would want to contribute on this subject? I, I
3: have this. this uh, thought that always comes into my head, and I'm not sure if it's true or right or not, but I feel like the person that loves a work of art is more right about it than the person who doesn't. So it's almost like art is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. I look at individual artwork is not meant to be for everybody. There's something that will never, you know, there there can be this great work of art that you will never receive. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think it's just like People like there can be like these amazing people in the world that you will never be able to have a good conversation with, yeah. even if other people do. Right. So, I feel like there's such a it's it, there, there's there's so much about the relationship between the um the per the, either either the artist and and the receiver or the artwork and the receiver. Um, and and you know, I I think that. Any work of art can be criticized you know and mm-hmm. they, they all are and yeah i just think that the person that loves it is the one that's right that really actually received it
0: momus the podcast is co-produced and co-hosted by sky gooden that's me and lauren wetmore
1: that's me we'd like to thank sheila Hetty and jean randolph for their contributions to this episode the first of season two
0: this episode is edited by jacob irish Features original music by Kyle McCrae and production assistance by Mitra Shiram.
1: If you'd like to advertise in or otherwise support season two, you can find us at momus.ca. This was Momus, the podcast.